And uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. While you're turning over there, I came across this article this week, and I thought it's, it's worth pointing out. Um, anybody need a pen? Anybody? All right, good. Good? Um, Beto O'Rourke, now which nice thing is he's one of the kind of the fringe candidates now. He's not even really close to... Uh, near the top. I mean, there's a good possibility that he's not even going to, you know, have a chance at winning the uh, uh, Democratic nomination. He's the long shot candidate. But he made some comments this week, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole article, but this will just show you. Look, they start, it starts off with somebody saying it, somebody mentioning it, talking about it and everything else. And the next thing you know, it turns into this whole, you know, agenda for the Democrats and liberals and everything else. But he promised that if he was elected, he would, he would do everything in his power to strip churches of their tax-exempt status if they didn't support gay marriage. And that's a big thing. You know, one of the big things that's very helpful to churches is the tax-exempt status and all that stuff. But he said, we're going to stop those who are infringing upon the civil rights of our fellow Americans. And because you don't support gay marriage as a church, then we're going to do everything we can to strip the tax-exempt status away from these churches. And it was, there were some other things that went along with that, but that's the gist of the whole article. And I just, I mean, what, you know, uh, how far have we gone, you know? And, but that's the thing, okay? It's just an idea now, and it's a far-out idea, but I can guarantee you in 10 years that would be something that they're, probably less than 10 years, something that they're pushing and promoting and everything else. So um, anyway, I thought that's worth noting. It's, 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 it's important that we are aware, at least, of what, what's going on with those things, so... Uh, anyway, let's go back and let's start with just kind of a quick review of what we had talked about. Of course, um, we're talking about marriage as a dream destination. And of course, marriage is not the destination. Marriage, you know, when we walk down the aisle and, and, and uh, say, the, say our wedding vows and everything else, that's just the beginning. The rest is the, um, uh, the whole rest of our marriage is a journey. And uh, of course, the idea of marriage... Uh, we said, first of all, was that it was God's idea. Marriage was created by God. We read Mark chapter 10 and verse 7 through 9. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and, uh, and cleave to his wife. They twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And we got to this point. We mentioned it last week, but we said that marriage was created by God, but that it's also designed by God. And we said that what happens most of the time is that marriage gets off track when we try to do it our own way. And man has lots of, you know, lots of ways to try to do marriage. And, and uh, of course, you know, gay marriage and, and divorce and everything else, you know, and just open marriages and all kinds of different ways that they try to make marriage work. When if they would just do it the way that God designed it, it would be fine. Marriage wasn't just God's idea. It was his design. And um, all throughout the creation week, God, in fact, turn, turn back just a couple pages to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, obviously on the sixth day, God, after he, after he created everything, it says he saw it and he said that it was good, right? God saw the, 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 morning, the, the day and the night and it was good. He saw the stars, you know, sun, moon, and stars, it was good. He saw the, the plants and the animals and it was good, Right? But on the final day of creation, after he created Adam and Eve, and he brought them together, he saw, it says this in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. 
And I don't, you know, I don't know if, you, I mean, this is everything that he's looking at, but he didn't say that it was very good until after he created male and female. And uh, so in this first marriage, and that's, that's exactly what this is, this, this is a marriage, God puts together the man and the wife, we can see two purposes of God's design, and that is companionship and completion, right? Uh, marriage at the deepest level is a friendship. You ought not to just be married, you ought to be friends, and, um, you know, I, I don't mean this in a way that awkward teens, you know, can we just be friends? You know, it's not that, but it's, you know, you ought to be friends with each other um, in the sense that God designed marriage to give the companionship and the completion that he created us to need. We need that. We need that companionship. We need that, that uh, completion. So, you know, it, it's interesting to, to note that, and I think I mentioned this last week, but it's, it's interesting to note that. Uh, before sin even entered in the world, when, when God's, you know, Adam was in fellowship with God, that he looked and he said, you know, it's not good that man should live alone. And so God created a female to go with man. This need for a partner then wasn't due to any kind of imperfection in Adam. It wasn't due to anything that Adam had done wrong. It was due to the fact that man needs and women need completion and companionship. And that's why it's so important that, that married couples give just very close attention to the relational aspects of marriage, uh, communication, acceptance, uh, uh, resolving conflicts, right? Marriages end up in trouble when something happens and there's a conflict in the marriage and you just let it go. You sweep it under the rug. Uh, I've dealt with enough people that are going through marriage problems to know that that is a big problem, but we'll just deal with it later. And then it never gets dealt with. And then it just kind of goes away because time sort of heals it. And then something else comes up and, well, well, we'll deal with it later, sweep it under the rug. And then the next thing you know here, they're talking about divorce and everything else. And that's, that's where that, that happens. But spending quality time together. A lot of other topics that we're going to look at um, that are, you know, relational aspects of marriage as we get through this series. But it wasn't just companionship. It was also completion. Uh, God made Adam and Eve in a way that they perfectly completed each other, complete um, one another in marriage. So um, maybe these answers that some of these kids gave us will help. Ten years old, and he said this, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it. Coming. <laughs> uh, Kirsten, age 10. No person really decides. God decides it all way before, and you find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Uh, so then they asked, what's the right age to get married? Camille, who was <laughs> Freddie, six years old. No age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> uh, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, eight years old, he said, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kid. Kids see it and everything else. But the companionship of marriage, um, uh, uh, it's nice to have, uh, you know, somebody as a companion who can do the things that you can't music than I am. I can, I can sing, I can play music and do that kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, like it is now without my wife being able to step in and fill those roles. She's very good with the kids and the way that she handles them and talks with them and works with them. And, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's great to have a wife that can do those things because when you get, you know, I, I get very busy with the things that, that have to be done with the church and everything else and, and, you know, so you have to complement each other and complete each other like that, but it's deeper than, than someone that just helps you in the areas that maybe you're not as good at. Maybe you're not as good with finances, and so it's great to have a spouse that's good at those things, or you're not as good at, you know, 
uh, crafty things. And so, you know, it's great to have somebody that can do that. You know, whatever. And, and, and that's part of marriage, you know, uh, you filling in the weaknesses of your spouse, your spouse filling in your weaknesses and, and you know, completing each other. But it's deeper than that. It's spiritual. It's emotional. It's, it's physical intimacy of two lives. And yes, like the Bible says, it's very good. So, um, you know, the, the bad thing is, and, 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 and one of the reasons why marriages, uh, I believe, fail, number one, is because they're not built on the Word of God. They're built on, um, you know, ooh, that, that, that's a good-looking girl right there. I'm going to marry her, you know. Or, boy, look at the muscles on that guy. I'm going to marry him, you know. And, and if that's everything that it's based on, then your foundation is very, very weak. Now, you ought to be attracted to the person that you marry. You know, I didn't see my wife and say, wow, she's ugly. I'm going to marry that girl, you know. You don't say that, you know. You think, wow, she's beautiful. But there's, there's a whole lot more to it than just that. And so if marriage to you is just, you know, a partner for sex or someone to pay the bills or a person to enjoy in whatever capacity as an as-needed basis, then you're missing the fullness of what God intended for marriage to be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a companionship, but it's a spiritual companionship. It's an emotional companionship. It's a physical intimacy of two lives. It's an interlocking of two souls, and that's what marriage ought to be. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see the depth of the relationship that God designed for marriage. He says this in Genesis 2 and verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother... And shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, you know, I, I, I think this is pretty interesting, too. It's the man's job to uproot his life and go to where the wife is. Now, I, I know sometimes it's not necessarily practical. Um, and, you know, you have a job lined up somewhere else, and you're, hey, hey this is great. You know, you're going to have to move away from your home. I'm moving away from mine. Or, you know, I've got this great job in my hometown. We're going to get married, and we'll, we're going to live in my hometown. But, you know, it's, it's the man's job to leave his father and mother and to go cleave to his wife and let them be one flesh. Now, one flesh, that's, that isn't natural. You know, a bond that close is a miracle of God. So we'll talk about the second thing. Then number two is this, the bond of marriage. Does what we've seen of God's design for marriage sound unrealistic, unattainable? You know, how, how, do, you get to, how do you get there from where you are right now? Um, there were three men that were hiking through a forest, and they came to a, a large, just a violent, raging river, no way to cross. They didn't, they didn't see any way they were going to get across. And so the first man prayed to God, and he said, God, please give me strength to cross this river, and poof, God gave him big arms, strong legs, and, and he was able to swim across. It took him about two hours to get there. Um, he almost drowned a couple of times on his way across, but he made it across. And then the second guy, he sees this, and he says, you know, he prays, and he says, well, I mean, yes, we need strength, but God, please give me strength and tools to get across this river, and poof. God gave him a rowboat and strong arms and strong legs, and so he was able to row across the river. It took him a little while, but he made it across, and this this third guy, he sees what happens with both of these, and he says, God, please give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. And poof, he turned into a woman. <laughs> she checked the map, she hiked up 100 yards, found the bridge, and walked across. You know, thankfully, the instructions that God gives us for forming the bond that he designed for marriage are very clear and very straightforward. And uh, from the very first mention of marriage in Genesis chapter 2, we just looked at that verse. 
But, but Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 describes the three aspects of it, and you can remember these things with three rhyming words, and this is going to be uh, A, B, and C, um, if you want to put them down in there now, but leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Uh, but let's talk then, first of all, about the weaving. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the leaving. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. Now, Considering the context in, in which that was first stated, it's kind of comical, right? Adam was the first man. He didn't have any parents to leave, you know? It's pretty interesting that God talks about that very be in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. I mean, I wonder if Adam even knew what a father and mother was at that point, you know? I mean, he didn't have one. They weren't one at that point, you know? So what's a father and what's a mother, you know? Uh, it's pretty funny if you think about it, but, you know, the truth is so foundational to a healthy marriage that God gave them that instruction and the very first instruction on what marriage should be. Uh, the word leave comes from, and you can, by the way, as we're going through this, I mean, you can write down anything that you want to in your book on the margins or whatever else, and it might be helpful for you when you go back and look at these later, but the word leave comes from the Hebrew word azab, A-Z-A-B, and that means to loosen or to relinquish. And, and it literally speaks of a severance. You're severing that tie. By the way, now this has nothing to do with uh, this lesson necessarily, but it has something to do with the family. One of the reasons, um, and, and I, I, I heard this explained at, at least in a very small way, and, and it made sense, and I've kind of expanded on it, but I think one of the reasons that kids, especially teenagers, uh, rebel against their parents has a lot to do with the parents as much as it does with the kids. Because what happens is, as, as parents, from the very first day that their kids are born, have a need to be needed. And kids have a need to be loved and to be helped. Um, and what happens is, as parents grow up, and as the kids grow up, the need for the parents to be needed should eventually fade away. The need for the kids to be loved never goes away but the need for the kids to be helped does. And as they get older, and they don't need their parents to help them anymore, the parents can't let go of that desire to be needed, and so they won't let their kids, and, and, and again, you have to have boundaries and all of that kind of stuff, but the kids are trying to gain their independence because that's what they do as they get older, especially, especially boys. They're, they're gaining their independence, but the parents don't want to let go of that independence. And the next thing you know, you have a kid who is rebelling because the parents won't let go of that need to be needed, you know? I mean, it's a hard thing to let go of because, you, you know, you want, to, you want to be needed, you know? And you've been needed for all of those years, and now all of a sudden your kid doesn't need you anymore? No, you need me. You need me to be here for you to do this and this and this and this, you know? And then the kid starts to rebel against that because I don't need you. I, I, I need my independence. That's what you're raising me to be, you know? I mean, you think about a, a bird in a nest. Right? If the bird never got out of the nest, something's wrong with it. You know, and, and it gets to the point where the, the, the mother bird is actually pushing them out of the nest. You know? And again, you, you, you have to have boundaries. You have to have rules. If they're living in your house, they're going to follow these rules and everything else. But uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why kids end up rebelling. And of course, you know, there's, there's other things that go into that too. But anyway, the severance that happens there with, with the, the, the husband... When a man and women, a woman join in marriage, they're establishing a new identity together. And that, that necessitates leaving their previous individual 
uh, identities, physically and emotionally. And look, a lot, of, a lot of girls are tied very emotionally to their fathers, right? They love their dads. Riley says now that, that she's going to marry me when she gets older, you know? And so what we do is, is I take them out uh, just by themselves once a week. So, um, uh, well, once every three weeks, I guess. So it's Jackson's week, then Alex's week, then Riley's week. I take them out. We just go get some ice cream or whatever. And so I got to talking to Riley about this the last time we went out. And I said, are you going to get married someday, you know? And she said, well, you know, it, it always was, no, I'm not going to get married. Now it's like, well, I might, you know. And, but, you know, I said, uh, and, and so we got to talking about it. And she said, well, when you get married, who are you supposed to love more, your dad or your husband? And I said, well, you can still love your dad, but you need to love your husband more, you know. I said, you're going to love your husband more because you don't live every single day with your dad, you know. She couldn't, she couldn't fathom the idea of leaving her dad, you know, to go marry somebody, but... Uh, it's just funny, you know. She's four. Doesn't, I mean, we don't, I, I, you know, whatever. But she, she gets around and says, that guy was cute. And I'm like, what do you get, where did you get that from, you know? Uh, anyway, um, but, you know, a, a lot of times we illustrate that at a wedding with the idea of a unity candle, right? You've heard of a unity candle? The parents uh, of the groom come up and light it on one side. The parents of the bride come up and light it on the other side. And then when they come down the aisle, they grab the... Uh, they grab the individual candles and they light the candle in the center, they blow it out, and then they, they, you know, it's just basically signifying that our lives are not separate anymore. We're one, you know. I think one of the most honest couple was the ones who lit the unity candle and then stuck them back in there without blowing them out, you know. That's the way that a lot of people do it. No, we're, we're together, but I'm going to live my own life. You can live your own life, and, you know, we're going to have separate bank accounts, and we're going to have this separate, and I'm going to be able to go do this when I want to, and you can go do that when you want to, but we're going to have separate lives. That's not the way that God designed marriage to be. This bond was to leave father and mother and to cleave to each other. So that leaving is not just a physical leaving. It's an emotional leaving as well. Uh, it, it's, it's vital to a new marriage. Do we have any more of those? Um, Hey, Brother Matt, there's some, um, the books are not back there, but on the back, where are they at? On the table back there. There you go. Some blank, that's the first lesson. So, uh, anyway, um, couples need to leave behind the expectations and the emotional baggage of the past. How her father treated her? Well, my dad never did that, you know? Well, my mom always did this, you know? That's the worst possible thing that you could do in a marriage. Uh, but that proves one thing. You never left your father and mother. You never left your father and mother to, to cleave to your husband or cleave to your wife. Well, my dad always, that's, you know, uh, that's ev even in homes with a strong, healthy marriage, and especially in homes with troubled or broken marriage, there, there are pieces of the past that need to be left behind. And, you know, uh, Pastor Brothers always, always said, you know, um, and just in talking with him and, and hearing some of the things that he talked with, maybe, maybe messages, I don't know, but he would always say, Take the best of both marriages and put them together. Okay, maybe you had some things that were in your marriage, that, that were in your home that were not good. Leave them behind. Take the things that you learned that were the best part of your parents' marriage. Your wife can take the best parts of the things that she learned from her parents' marriage and put those together and make it the best marriage that you can. Well, I have this excuse because my parents always, no, leave that behind. The emotional baggage, the physical baggage, all of this stuff, leave it behind. He says that in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 13 and 14, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, right? And, and yes, that, that has everything to do with our spiritual life, but it has everything to do with, with marriage as well. Now, 
Ideally, before marriage, um, couples should identify and then refuse to carry the baggage that they have from before they were married into that marriage and other habits that may have been a part of their upbringing and everything else. But even after marriage, you might detect some of those trends in your life. Maybe you didn't notice some of the things in, until you got married. Uh, remember, there are some things that must be left behind to create a strong, healthy relationship. And you, look, you might be 10, 15, 20, 30 years into your marriage and just realize, you know what? I never let go of that. Something you need to let go of. Of course, doesn't mean that you should forget your past, turn your back on your family and all this stuff. And, and that's why I say what you should do is take the best of what you learned from your parents and make that a part of your marriage. Um, marriages should be the strongest because if you take the strongest points of the husband's family growing up and the strongest points of the wife's family growing up and put those things together, then marriage should not be weakening in America. It should be getting stronger in America, right? Um, and that's how we should do it. But the first thing then is leaving, and that is leaving emotionally. It's leaving physically. It's leaving everything behind. And the second part of that then is cleaving. God designed marriage to be a relationship where uh, partners cleave to one another, uh, like glue. They're inseparable, you know. Um, I do a lot of work with wood, and when you put two pieces of wood together, especially with glue, uh, you're not going to pull those things apart without breaking one or both of those pieces, right? You ever put something together before and then tried to pull it apart? It's going to break. It's going to break something. And, 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 you know, that's this word cleaving. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And that word, that word cleave, is just speaking of total acceptance, unconditional love, unconditional respect for one another. When God brought Adam and Eve together, in fact, you can, you can see this in Genesis chapter 2. I don't know if you're still there or not. But Genesis chapter 2 when God brought Eve to Adam, his immediate response was full and conditional acceptance. Now, obviously, who knows what Eve looked like? I have no idea. Um, but you can imagine if God created her in a perfect world, then she was probably the ideal of what a woman should be, whatever that means. You know, we have our ideas and in, in what's been created in America is what is the perfect you know, woman. It's funny how that changes, though, by the way, because um, you know, back in the Victorian era, it was women that were overweight and, and bleached white skin, basically. So here you have women who were bleaching their skin white to be as white as they possibly could, you know. And now it's changing. The person with the darker skin is more, you know, attractive. And it's just funny how our version of what is perfect changes. Uh, but when, when Adam uh, was given Eve, uh, Adam said this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know, I think that's what every woman's dream is, and that's that a man would give her absolute and complete acceptance. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of women um, that have issues accepting what they look like and who they are and all of that kind of stuff, you know, and, well, I'm not, you know, my hair's not blonde, my eyes are not blue, my body's not perfectly shaped, my this, my that, you know, and they have that idea of, boy, you know, Nobody's going to like me. I can't even stand to look at myself, you know. And then to have somebody come along and completely accept you for who you are, I mean, that's, that's what every woman wants. And truthfully, that's what every guy wants, too. I mean, most guys are not standing in front of the mirror looking and saying, man, my nose is a little crooked or my ears are a little big or whatever else, you know. But, but guys want acceptance from their wives and wives want acceptance from their husbands. And one of the best things that you can do for your husband or wife is to give them that complete acceptance. That's what cleaving is all about. 
Um, there is a story that was told of a, of a young bride who on the day of her wedding was just, she was just terrified that she was going to mess the ceremony up. So just before her dad walked her down the aisle, he told her, he said, look, it's simple. He said, there are just three words that you need to remember, aisle, altar, and hymn. You walk down the aisle, you pause at the altar, the soloist is going to sing a hymn, and then that's the end of it. So from there on, the pastor will take over. Just remember, aisle, altar, hymn. The bride remembered what her father said, and she's, she walked down the aisle. Uh, they walked in together, and over and over in her mind, she kept repeating that word, I'll alter him, I'll alter him. And that, as the story goes, is how women uh, go into marriage with the idea, I'll alter him, you know. Uh, I'll alter him, I'll alter him, you know. But a, a lot of people do approach marriage, truthfully, with the idea that, well, they got this problem and that problem, but I'll change that once we get married. I'll, I'll, I'll change that, you know. Um, after marriage, most spouses find out that changing another person is not only impossible, but attempting to do that creates a lot of stress within the marriage, you know. Um, uh, it's damaging to the relationship. So the instruction in Genesis 2 for a couple to cleave to one another includes what we accept and love, uh, or, or that we accept and love our spouse for who they are, you know. You're not perfect, and neither are they. And just because they don't fit into your version of what perfect ought to be doesn't mean that they're flawed. It doesn't mean that they have, you know, something wrong with them. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28, you have that there. It says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Boy, I tell you, that is something that, we, that, that, uh, that you see often, Right? Um, I'm not going to go hungry. I'm not going to not have that. I'm not going to not have that. And, and, the, and, and the Bible says if we would love our wives the same way that we love ourselves, there'd be a whole lot of loving going on and a whole lot of acceptance going on, right? We accept ourselves for who we are. Well, my muscles may not be as big as that guy's, but have you seen them lately? These are pretty big, you know? I'm accepting myself for who I am. Well, yeah, I know, you know, I got this problem, but, right, if we would do that for our spouse, well, I know they have this problem, but, you know, that's exactly what the Bible is talking about in that passage. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. No man yet ever hated his own flesh, right? Total acceptance, unconditional love. Those are not common in today's relationships, you know? They always want to go out and get this done and get that done, and you need to go fix this and go fix that. Um, the world believes that couples who stay married 50, 60, 70 years must have been perfect for each other. Uh, and, you know, that their success is rooted in the fact they were two lucky people who found soulmates. And then the rest of their lives, you know, uh, the, rest of, the rest of the people who are foolish to insist on cleaving to one another during the times of pain or difficulty just happen to not get their soulmate. And, well, you know, now I found my soulmate. You know, that one before was not. But, you know, the, the world is wrong. Marriage, as God designed it, carries a commitment to cleave, to hold on to your spouse. It's a decision that you make when you exchange your vows. The reason why people get divorced is because that word is in their vocabulary. If divorce was not even in your vocabulary, you, wouldn't, you would do everything you could possibly do to make it work. And it will work. You will make it work. But the problem is you start saying, well, if we can't work out our differences, then I guess we're just going to have to get divorced. And then you have that in the back of your mind. Well, look, we just couldn't work out our differences, so we're getting divorced. 
No, if you have an idea in your mind, we're not getting divorced, so we better work out our differences. You will work out your differences because nobody wants to live miserable, right? Nobody wants to spend the rest of their life miserable. So if you say there is no chance that we're getting divorced, then we're going to make it work. I made a vow that I was going to cleave to my wife, and that's what I'm going to do. And then the last thing is this, weaving. Weaving is the idea that they shall be one flesh. Now, this is where the real work of marriage comes in, because this is the intertwining of lives that happens over time, and that's what marriage is all about. Now, you think you know your wife when you get married, you know? You think you know your husband when you get married. And then you get five years into it and 10 years into it and 15 years into it and you realize, boy, we've learned a whole lot about each other since we got married. It's good things, but it's the intertwining. In one sense, this becoming of one flesh is to take place on your wedding day. Um, but, you know, um, this whole idea, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You have these listed there, I think. In front of you, verse, verse 3 and 4, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And I, this idea of weaving together is marital intimacy, and it's the gift of God, the physical celebration of that oneness, the physical celebration of the unity that we have in marriage. Um, but the weaving of two lives is so much more than physical. I mean, it certainly has everything to do with it. There ought not to be a uh, relationship with anyone outside of marriage. If you're not married, you, you, you don't have this physical intimacy. Um, if you are, and that's one of the, you know, that's one of the benefits of being married. Um, but it's so much more than that. It takes place through daily decisions to pursue your spouse's heart, uh, to try to, to try to, draw near to each other and to entwine your lives around each other. One of the things that, you know, and, and, I, and I've, you know, I've, I've talked with quite a few people now that are dealing with marriage issues, and, and one of the things that I tell them all the time is this. Look, you spent all this time and effort pursuing your wife, trying to get her to fall in love with you and trying to get her to like you and you finally won her, you finally caught her and you got married and then all of a sudden that stops. You don't stop pursuing your wife. You don't stop dating your husband. That's, that's why marriages fail. And I'll tell you, um, weaving your lives together cannot happen without spiritual growth. If one is growing spiritually and the other one really has no desire to grow spiritually, you're not going to have that weaving together. If both of you are living carnal, worldly lives and neither one of you care about spiritual things, you're not going to have that weaving together. But if both of you, and, and I explain it this way often um, when I uh, do like a, a marriage counseling session before I do a wedding or something like that, is you take a triangle and you put the husband on the bottom of the triangle on this side and the wife on the bottom of the triangle on this side and God at the top. As the husband moves closer to God and as the wife moves closer to God, you notice what happens. They're also moving closer together. And that's exactly what has to happen for a relationship to work, for that, that weaving together, that intertwining of two lives to happen. A lot of couples don't pursue that intimacy. They hope for personal gratification. And they get it, but 
neither has a real long-term goal of weaving their lives together if all you're wrapped around is that physical intimacy. But that's the end goal that God has in mind for marriage. Two lives intertwined with one another as they grow together in him. The third thing then is the strength of marriage. And we'll have to get into this next week. We'll, we'll finish this up next week and get started into the next lesson. Um, but we're basically out of time, so we need to... Uh, we need to move on. I told you, and, and as we get into this, I mean, this, this is really, really important part because this is establishing what marriage is all about. And if we don't understand what marriage is all about, then all the things that we can talk about in marriage uh, really is, is going to be all built on the wrong foundation. This is such an important foundation. God designed a man to leave his father and a mother, to cleave to his wife, and for them to become one flesh. You think about this. Would somebody go and rip their arm off just because they didn't like their arm? Huh? Would you go cut your leg off because you didn't like what your leg did? I'm, not, I'm just not getting along with my leg very well, so I'm going to cut it off. Right? You would never do that. But yet, what, when it happens in a marriage, which is one flesh, you're one person now in God's eyes. Well, we're just not getting along, so I'm going to rip my other half out of my life. Right? Well, I don't like what she does. I can't stand the way that she does this or that. We just inseparable, uh, or what is that, irreconcilable differences. I'm just going to rip the other half of me off. No, I mean, that's, that's essentially what we're doing when, when people get divorced. And God never designed for it to be that way. God never intended for it to be that way. So uh, very important, very important that we uh, understand that marriage is leaving, cleaving, and weaving of two lives. And not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, and in every other aspect as well. All right, we'll finish this up next week, get into the next lesson. But let's pray and we'll get ready for the next service. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing to be here in this place. What a blessing to be able to have marriages that are strong. And I pray that you'd help us as we strive toward that goal. Thank you for what you do for us, God. I pray that you'd be with us in the next service, that you'd bless and that we'd have, uh, get exactly what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.